We gotta talk about the most dominating performance perhaps ever in college football in a national championship game. That plus my way too early top 25. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. Jay Young, I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Tonight, we are reacting live to Georgia's 65-7 to win against number three Texas Christian in the most lopsided national championship game of my entire life. And I've been on this earth for 36 years come this July. But what we witnessed was dominance as we define it in the Oxford English Dictionary, Georgia, far and away, the national champion, and by some margin here, because, my goodness, the number one Georgia Bulldogs were up 38 points, or 38-7, so they're up 31 points, scored 38 in the first half. My goodness, we're talking about, we're talking about just the third team in the modern era to go 15-0 and 0 in college football history, right? Joining the 2019 LSU, 2018 Clemson. But we're also talking about a team that was up 52 to seven after three and had not one, but two curtain calls for seniors and or players that are going to go into the NFL draft, starting with the nine minute mark of the fourth quarter. Couple of ways that I want to frame this, but the first one is a note from producer Tyler. The over-under on this game, was 63 points. I'm going to say it again. The over-under on this game was 63. Georgia scored 65. I mean, by the time the first half ended, we all felt the national championship game was over. And at that time, garbage time had begun. Even Kirby Smart, to his credit, tried to say, hey, we've not been a great third-quarter team, and they have been a very good third-quarter team, to which none of us, we're actually in a position to take him seriously. But the other part to frame this with is this Georgia football team is not even as talented as the 2021 team, though it is more accomplished. That's ridiculous. That is remarkable. Five first rounders on that defense last year that was all world. And the next year, they reload and they run the table. And at times, they did not look like the best team in college football. Meanwhile, week one looks a lot like the last week, the last game of the college football season. Remember, Georgia knocked off Oregon 49-3. to At what point we're going, okay, so Georgia occupies the first four slots in everybody's top 25, and we don't know what to do with Oregon. Oregon bounces back, wins 10, right, in a really fantastic Holiday Bowl win against North Carolina, ends up being a really great football team and Dan Lanning's first time ever being a head coach. And by halftime, Oregon Duck fans are looking at everybody else going, we told y'all they are different. Now, a couple other ways to put this, but I pick up my goddaughters from school on Mondays. Today is a Monday, okay? They know the national championship game is going on. They know this is what I do. So I usually get a call or I call them to kiss them goodnight on nights like this. And they ask me, uh, RJ, what's the score? 
I said, it's 52 to seven. And they were like, what was the halftime score? I said, it was 38 to seven. And they said, does that mean that Georgia has to play a man down in the second half to make it fair? In the national championship game, guys. All right. Like, that's the level of dominance. We have elementary school girls asking for Texas Christian to get a handicap because they know the national championship game is not supposed to be this lopsided. At one point, you know, it, they're going up 45 to 7, and it felt like Jordan Peele had taken over directing this game. It was a horror show. It was the kind you could not look away from because you could not believe that this was happening in the way that it was happening. You might be of, you know, 99% of people's opinion, which is to say that Texas Christian was going to get boat raced. But it's another thing to say that and then for Georgia to be able to follow through on doing just that. And this is, again, the largest margin of victory, the single best beatdown that I have ever seen in a national championship game. And I dare say anybody has seen in a national championship game. As a matter of fact, the last time that we saw a program up by 34 or more at halftime was when Miami beat down Nebraska in 2002. It's 21 years ago, guys, right? And I am an Oklahoma fan, for which many of you know. That also means that I lived through USC and Matt Leinert and him beating the hell out of Oklahoma 55 to 19, so bad at halftime that they bring Ashley Simpson on to sing and she gets booed because Oklahoma fans had had enough. Right. So I, I know what this is like. Notre Dame fans, when they had to play Alabama 2012, same Notre Dame team that came down to Oklahoma, beat up on Oklahoma with Manti Teo and James Harden got traded on the same night. Yeah, I was in the press box that night and I don't forget it. But that team we thought was going to be good. No, Alabama ended up handing them their head, which is how we get back to Georgia, because we had thought for some time that Alabama and what Nick Saban has done basically over the last 15 years can never be repeated. That level of dominance in the sport. And for me, he's still the greatest college football coach of all time. But a guy he had on his staff until 2016 is the head coach at Georgia. And he has taken that model and that style, the ability to recruit more five stars than you and play outstanding football when it matters most to Georgia. And now it feels with this team being the first to win back-to-back national championships in the college football playoff era, that it's not just they are the king of the sport. It's the mantle of dynastic is now theirs. They've won two in a row now, folks. And about four years ago, we started to look at Georgia and believe that this could happen. It's going to take some leap of faith there, but you saw them recruiting. You saw them winning national recruiting titles, for which most people want to say, Okay, when, in recruit, when has recruiting ever won a national championship? I'm going, you don't understand. When you start loading up in the way that Georgia has been loading up since 2016, it's not a matter of if, but when. And you could see that with the development of the guys on that team. And frankly, the guys that just wanted to be on that team. All right. So I, the guys developed on that team, take, for instance, uh, Brock Bowers, who was a freshman last year. And this year, right? Wins his second straight national championship. He's two for two, seven catches, 152 yards with the TD. Good luck SEC. Cause you got another year of that dude, because he's just a sophomore. That is a good that wanted to be developed, right? Another guy, but that 
wanted to be a Georgia Bulldog, got his only real big-time offer from Georgia, Lad McConkey. Had an outstanding year. Five catches, 88 yards in this one with two TDs. Another guy, developed, Devon Bullard, who basically is defensive MVP in this game with only having played the first half, two interceptions, left the game in the third quarter with an injury. And then the dude that absolutely, beyond anything else, wanted to be a Georgia Bulldog in the worst way, the quarterback, Stetson Bennett, has a night of nights, 18 of uh, for, uh, 25, 304 pass yards, four tutties, no picks, 39 rush yards, two TDs. I'm still getting a kick out of people that are trying to remind us or act as if they are giving us some sort of nugget or gift when they say that Stetson Bennett is fast. Because the number of people that think that Stetson Bennett is slow, you can count on one hand, and they do not watch Georgia play football. All right? Nobody, but nobody, thought that dude was slow. Now, it is one thing for him to be fast. It is another thing for the defense to be keying key on Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, Jason Edwards. And then in garbage time, for you to be able to pull out Branson Robinson, who is a Zeus White clone. And if you've been following recruiting or even high school football in Mississippi, you understand they're that loaded. They go deep enough that you can bring Branson Robinson in in garbage time to go get you some dubs here. But like the other part that I love about this is Stetson Bennett marked his place in history a year ago, right? When you led the Georgia Bulldogs to their first national championship in four decades, you remember forever. And rather than go to the NFL, he said, no, I love this. I want to do this again. And who could blame him? So he comes back, starting quarterback. He's surrounded by outstanding players everywhere you look. And he coaxes that team, manages that team, and then playmakes that team into a second national championship in as many years, to which there is no more discussion about whether or not Stetson Bennett is the best quarterback that Georgia has ever had, which is a wild thought for a guy that walked on, got run off to Juco, had an offer from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns he was going to take until Kirby Smart called him up on signing day and said, do you want to come back? Okay. Then there's the discussion about where does he rank in the pantheon of greats? And as far as Georgia football is concerned, Herschel Walker's still up there at number one, no matter what anybody wants to tell you. I don't care how far ago it was. I don't care what football looked like. If you know about Herschel Walker and that 81 season in particular, that 80 season two, you understand. After that, you can make an argument that talented players, more talented players have played at Georgia. George Pickens comes to mind, right? Champ Bailey comes to mind. If we even want to take it in as far as like acting, we can go with Omar Hardwick, right? Omari would, yeah. It, it, power look it up and go there but Stetson Bennett is now I think top five man and that's up there with DJ Shockley Matt Stafford Herschel Walker and then we can we can play mix and match there right it's like that you could talk about what a Sony Michelle has meant you could talk about what a Todd Gurley has meant but none of those dudes won national championships and that's the separator a couple years ago I'm doing my top 10 greatest all-time college football players. One of the things I asked was, did you win national titles? Okay? You had to go between Herschel Walker and Stetson Bennett before you got a national title winning player with a Georgia G on his helmet. That is wild. Stetson Bennett did that for the Georgia Bulldogs. All right? I also want to add in here, this is a man who has taken full advantage of the college experience and full advantage of what college football has become in recent years, okay? So 2019, I kind of want to put into a capsule because everything since 2019 has changed drastically all over the world, but in this sport that we know and love, right? 
The transfer portal gets on and popping just a couple of years before. You also get the red shirt rule in which guys can play four games and still keep their eligibility. And then you got the COVID eligibility year, which is to say that Stetson Bennett won a national championship as a 25-year-old quarterback. That is two years older than Trevor Lawrence and the same age as Lamar Jackson. But goodness me, man, if it's there for you, go do it. Be the big man on campus and go have a great time playing the best football you might play in all your life, right? And that's not even to say that his NFL career couldn't eclipse this, but it's going to be difficult to eclipse winning two national championships in two years at a school that loved its college football and had been starved of its college football national championship for four decades. Hats off to Stetson Bennett. If, you know, this is the end, could he go out on a higher note? I don't think so, man. I sincerely don't. So what does this mean for Georgia? We talked about the dynasty and how that is in play. That's what happens when you win two in a row. We have to start talking about you in that way. Now, could they do it? Yes is the answer. Will they do it? That's another thing altogether, right? Because in the college football era, we could be talking about Georgia being the new Clemson. We could be talking about Georgia being LSU. We could be talking about Georgia being Alabama. But I think Clemson is within play right now because that is within shouting distance. Four national titles for Clemson in five years, but they also had two generational quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence back there. In addition to 2018 defensive line may be the best defensive line that college football has ever produced on one team. All of those dudes got drafted. Christian Wilkins, Miami Dolphins, playing defensive tackle, had nearly 100 tackles this season. That's ridiculous. That was the kind of talent that Todd Bates, Dabo Sweeney, Brent Venables had on that 2018 defense, along with a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who did everything but win the Heisman Trophy, kind of like this guy, Stetson Bennett. We'll see what it means for them down the line, but, you know, it's Kirby Smart. All he does is recruit and reload in this way. Now, the other part to take apart is, can they be Bama? Let's say they get to be Clemson, four and five, right? Then that's all that's left. Yeah, I think at that point, you could actually start talking about them trying to pull off what Nick Saban has pulled off at Tuscaloosa, and who better to do it than the guy that helped him build that dynasty at Alabama in Kirby Smart. Many have tried. A lot of Saban assistants out there, but this guy is number one on the list and had been for a very long time, and many people thought that he would have great success no matter where he went. He went home, and he's turned Georgia into the national power in the sport. Alabama won six national championships in 12 years and were runner-up in three. This year, I'm doing local radio in Birmingham having to talk down Alabama fans who were losing their minds that they're 11-win team going into the Sugar Bowl and then took apart the Big 12 champion because after that game, they were so good, we were having discussions about whether or not they should play in the college football playoff, which brings me to the Michigan part of this conversation. Okay. Holla at me for just a second. Let's fellowship. Let's fellowship. Let's bring it in. Hear what I'm saying to you. Okay. Michigan and Texas Christian was supposed to be the 65-7 of the college football playoff. All right? We saw what Michigan had done to Ohio State in the game. Okay? They whooped them at home. They went on the road to go beat down Ohio State for the second year in a row. Won the Big Ten Championship vault themselves into the college football playoff. We're expecting to see a rematch of last year's Peach Bowl in the national championship. That'd be Georgia versus Michigan. But this Texas Christian team that couldn't score more than seven against this Georgia team 
beat that Michigan team 51-45. Okay, we talk about the fumble on the goal line. We could talk about the uh, butt being down on the line. We could talk about the two pick sixes. But the fact of the matter is, Texas Christian won that game. Then on the other semifinal, we saw an Ohio State team that many did not believe should have been in the college football playoff, get in there, and damn near beat Georgia. I mean, let's just keep it real. If Noah Ruggles hits that field goal, Ohio State is playing against Texas Christian in the national championship. And if you are an Ohio State fan, you know you got the measure of this Georgia team. You know you got the measure of them without Marvin Harrison Jr., and you want to get back in the worst way because you know that you were the matchup. In the way that Oklahoma felt it was the matchup for Alabama in the 2018 National Championship game, the one, you know, they lost in two overtimes to this Georgia team as they were ascending, right? As they were getting these reps to be the team that we know. So I'm looking at Michigan, who stopped, I'm back up, looking at Michigan, who beat Ohio State, and I'm looking at TCU, who got stomped out by Georgia, I'm looking at Ohio State, who damn near beat Georgia. And I'm looking at Georgia, who stomped out Texas Christian. And I got to ask, what do we know about Michigan at this point? Now, this is going to be interesting going into 2023. And we're going to talk about this a bit more if we get into my top 25. But that is the biggest question I think we all have after what we witnessed Georgia do to Texas Christian is just what happened to Michigan and were we right about Ohio State right up until the game and then right again as they play Georgia? I think that's fascinating. I really do. That Stetson finishes his career 29-3. We, we talked about what he has accomplished. An SEC championship, two national championships. Heisman, I would call it a finalist, right, this year. Could Georgia be better next year is a very interesting question to me. It's interesting in that... Stetson Bennett could go into the NFL draft, and then you're talking about Carson Beck or Gunnar Stockton or Brock Vandergriff. And I think all three of those dudes have tools that Stetson Bennett just does not have, right? We also got a, a peek at Branson Robinson, who is a load. We also know Brock Bowers is coming back. My goodness. And we've seen what they've been able to do, just reload on that defensive line, come up with Jordan Davis's and Jalen Carter's. Yeah, man. I think they could be that good next year. Um, my God, Nolan Smith might even be back to do this once again. As you can see, he was the dude who didn't have pads on, walking out, absolutely calling and toss, saying, we're going to defer, put the defense on the field first. We'll take the ball in the second half. That's their leader. Man, I am really shook by this Georgia football team because my team, the Oklahoma Sooners, and that team down there in Austin, Texas Longhorns, they picked this. We, 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 at, we held up the sign and we said, we want Georgia. Who, Lord? Lord is going to test us. That's what I'm trying to tell y'all. He's going to test us. We, we going into our trials and tribulations phase. Because that Georgia football team is indicative of the Southeast, right? We're not seeing the balance of power shift from Alabama to somebody else. We're seeing it switch from the SEC West to the SEC East. And basically, anybody that has deigned to come below the Mason-Dixon line to try to win a national championship has been put on front street and corrected dating back to 2014. We're coming up on damn near a decade of teams south of the Mason-Dixon line dominating the sport of college football. It's why I go hard 
about teams like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee caring about their football, Oklahoma for that matter, a little bit more than some. But they got some NFL franchises. They got some NBA stuff. They got some sites to see. But on Saturdays, this is what we do. And that is what Georgia does. Goodness me. All right. So interesting question here that was posed by former Central Florida standout quarterback Mackenzie Milton on the tweets. Put, well, it's not a question, actually a statement. I'm going to make it into a question. As good as Georgia has been the past two years, if Jameson Williams, who was at Ohio State, transferred to Alabama, was really great there, outstanding uh, last year of college football, and Marvin Harrison Jr. don't get hurt against Georgia, would have zero national championships. Okay, so he's saying that if Ohio State had had Jameson Williams and not Alabama, and Marvin Harrison Jr. does not get hurt this year, that that is two straight years for which we would be talking about a different national championship or national champion, excuse me, dare I say, even an Ohio State national champion in the Ryan Day era. It's nice on Twitter. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's nice on Twitter, right? Twitter is performative. I always say, and I have said it till I'm blue in the face, the best take, sports talk radio background, solo sports talk radio host here in the city of Tulsa and been doing this for coming up on six years. My God, it's been that long. Best take is a fact people want to argue. This is not a fact. We can argue it, right? But if you're Ohio State, the, the, I mean, the fact matters, you lost. Georgia won. That's what we would say, just as we're going to say, Texas Christian beat Michigan. You can call it a fluke. That's what you want to do. But the scoreboard says Texas Christian played for a national championship, right? Ohio State did not. Not this year. Got to take it back to 2020 when it felt like they were overmatched by Alabama. This year, they got closer. We feel like they are in the same hemisphere as Georgia. And I think everybody wants to see them play that game once again. But it also brings me back to, as we're talking about Georgia not having national championships, if Ohio State has two wide receivers, which is a lot to say, frankly, we also need to talk about what Texas Christian has done in this argument, all right? What most folks will not remember about this season is that Texas Christian had no business even entertaining the thought of playing for a national championship this year, last year, or 10 years from now. Like, quiet as it's kept, I'm a public school kid. I went to private school for uh, undergrad and went to OU for grad school. So I'm going to put it like this. This game, 65-7, Georgia beating Texas Christian, it's usually how the public school versus the private school game goes, okay? If you know, you know. Some of y'all played in, you know, parochial league in Texas, felt pretty good about that. And then you went to an ISD. That's how that goes, Right. That's who Texas Christian was this year. They are a nice private school, play some good football in their league, and then they go play an ISD, and they get to understand what Allen football is like, right? They get to understand what Union football is like, what Bixby football is like to use my schools out there. But still, no one expects Texas Christian to play for a national championship, not ever. It was legitimately shocking what they kept doing through November. Because you kept thinking that the bottom was going to fall out on this team. They cannot keep going behind and then pulling it out in the second half. 
They cannot continue to play outstanding defense with a 3-3 stack. It just won't work. They get to the Big 12 championship, and my goodness, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee smiles on them and us, frankly, because they put Texas Christian into the playoff off of a loss in the Big 12 championship, which I never thought anybody would see in the 14 format. And then Texas Christian chose not to look a good uh, gift horse in the mouth and decide to go play ball. They went down to Arizona, and I think they caught a Michigan team that expected to see them at least not put up a fight, right? We're getting talks about Smash Fest. We're getting Junior Colson not remembering what conference Texas Christian plays in. Psychologically, it felt like, yeah, they got into a street fight and didn't expect to get into a street fight, and Texas Christian had made their living all year in street fights, meaning you make it a ball game, and then we'll see. Georgia knew who Texas Christian could be, and also felt really terrible about how they damn near lost that game to Ohio State. And if they did not win this national championship, we would remember that they lost it rather than TCU won it. So you get a Kirby Smart pregame who comes out here and says, yeah, we're going hunting. That's it. Go hunt. And I said, oh, no, because somebody had been read the riot act in between the semifinal and a national championship game, and that's what they did. But the season that Texas Christian had, first year for Sonny Dykes, coming off of a five and seven year last year where the guy with the statue stepped down, Gary Patterson, then goes to the 40 acres, arch nemesis, to try to make them better. Sonny Dykes is a West Texas dude, hired West Texas guys, and Garrett Riley, Broyles Award winner, Joe Gillespie from Central Texas, but you get it, right, from Stephenville over there, coming down from Tulsa. They put together this team with a Max Duggan that they didn't even think was the best quarterback on campus, who was QB2, comes off the bench, leads this team to a national championship bid. You're losing Max Duggan. You're losing Quentin Johnston, who did not have the impact in this game that I wanted to see, but that's not his fault. Max Duggan could not see where he wanted to go with the ball, and when he did, there were people in his face. The defense felt like it got caught flat-footed by the sheer speed of guys like Brock Bowers. Like guys like Stetson Bennett, they just could not run with them. And you could see the argument of Jimmy's and Joe's playing out. We have more stars than you, which brings me back to the stars do matter. Not always, but do. And now that I've seen Texas Christian make a national championship game a year after seeing Cincinnati make the college football playoff, I am satisfied. I'm the guy who told you, expand the playoff, you cowards. They did that. They have done that. We will see 12 teams in a playoff. And it might just be Georgia running through everybody or Alabama or whomever. But I take great joy in knowing that Texas Christian got an opportunity to play for a national championship that Central Florida did not, right? That 2011 Oklahoma State did not, number one, the Collie Matrix. That Boise State did not, that Utah did not, that Tulane did not, 98. We can keep going here. The sport feels more fair. It feels more open. And as I said, when I wanted the playoff expanded, everybody deserves the same opportunity to get beat down by Georgia. Used to be Alabama, now it's Georgia. That's why we play the game. That's why we love the sport. Very, very, very proud of what Texas Christian has been able to accomplish in this last five months of what has been a fascinating, if aberration, of a college football year, at least at the very top, because frankly, you're not supposed to happen. Okay, let's go from that to my way too early top 25. I'm going to add my usual caveats here. We do it. It's fun. It's what I think. 
it might be right. But this is the best I got, and I got some points to raise about each of them, or each each one of these things you can read over at foxsports.com right now if you would like, and go from there. As it is, I'm going to focus on just a few teams here, and we're going to start and uh, at the top and work our way down. We've said a bunch about Georgia. Feels like they're the number one seed or number one team, period, right? They ought to be unanimous across all polls. Number two, I have Michigan. Now, I put this top 25 together just before kickoff. Matter of fact, producer Tyler and my editor, Bob Harks, over at Bob Harkins over at foxsports.com and be like, yo, dog, can we have this yet? And like, I'm still thinking about it. So I put Michigan at two after Blake Corum had announced he's returning. All right. I felt good about that until 65 to seven. I still feel good about it based on what Michigan was able to do the last two years and not just against Texas Christian or what they didn't do against Texas Christian, but you're going to have Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards with JJ McCarthy. You're going to have that speed on the outside and they're still going to be able to roll out those outstanding offensive linemen and try to control tempo as Jesse Minter figures out what went wrong against Texas Christian and fix it for that Wolverine defense. Now, Jim Harbaugh sent uh, I'm still committed tweet about possible NFL prospects. That calculus might change it as well, right? But I'm also the guy who did not rank Michigan in my top 25 the preseason, right? I did that because Jim Harbaugh had been flirting with the NFL. Both coordinators on both sides of the ball were gone, right? Didn't know if J.J. McCarthy was going to even be the guy, and they didn't know he was going to be the guy until the third game of the season. Didn't know Blake Corum was going to be able to carry the load like Hassan Haskins or that Donovan Edwards would serve admirably in the same role that Blake Corum had had. They were turning over an offensive line. They had moved around their coordinators in such a way that we didn't even know who was calling the plays at Michigan. And none of it mattered. All of it thrown out the window. The dudes do what I always want the dudes to, want to do, which is to go play football. We want to say who's good and who's bad, even when they lose. And yet Michigan said, no, 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 we're actually pretty damn good and we're going to go show it. So this year, the hell with it. They're pretty damn good. And I think based on what they had done beating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten Championship, making the college football playoff for the second year in a row, they deserve this number two spot. Number three, I got Ohio State. Yes, absolutely. Especially after what they did to what we know as Colossus in college football. Again, they are a missed field goal away from beating the team that we're talking about being dynastic now. That was nine days ago. We're talking about perhaps being a fake punt timeout away from Ohio State being this game and not Georgia. That's a good football team. I don't care that C.J. Stroud's going to the NFL draft. Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr. played at St. Joe's together in Philly. Yeah, you're going to have that tandem to deal with if Devin Brown doesn't go and beat Kyle McCord out for the job. But I'm going to hedge right now and say Kyle McCord probably has some sort of connection with the best returning wide receiver in the sport. And that might matter. It's just about whether or not Jim Knowles' defense can be the kind of defense that Ohio State needs to win national championships. I mean, that was the other question outside of what was Michigan doing against Texas Christian? What was the Ohio State defense doing against Georgia? Because that needs to be sorted out as it does next time that they play the game, which will be in Ann Arbor in 2023. Number four on the list, I got USC. They're returning the Heisman winner. It's becoming Lincoln Riley's bag, right? He's going to have the best player in college football. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, 
Now it's Caleb Williams. For USC, it's the same question that Lincoln Riley had at Oklahoma, which is to say, can you put a defense out there that can help you win a conference championship or a national championship? Can you do that? Because the thing about Alex Grinch's defense isn't that they get a bunch of takeaways or that they get a bunch of sacks. It's that it's feast or famine. Either they go get turnovers and tackles for loss or they get beat over their head deep or run through. You can't continue to do that and win at the highest levels of the sport. You can win 11, 12 games every year because that's what Lincoln Riley has done. But when it comes to playing for championships, you might come up a little bit short. If they can get that fixed in what I think is going to be the most competitive Pac-12 since it expanded 12 teams, yeah, they got a shot. But the Pac-12, man, it is loaded this year. As a matter of fact, I was doing the math today. You got Caleb Williams at SC, five-star Dante Moore at UCLA, Notre Dame transfer Drew Pine down there at Arizona State. Jane DeLauro is pretty damn good. Slept on at Arizona. You can go all the way up to Michael Penix Jr. and Washington win 11 games last year, or I should say in 2022. Bo Nixon, Oregon. DJ Uwe Ungalale is transferred to Oregon State. Cam Ward still at Washington State. We can keep going here. It's going to be a fun league with the bad moon rising, coming back to lead Utah to what it hoped to be a third consecutive Pac-12 championship. Going to be a lot of fun over there. Tennessee at number five with Joe Milton doing what he did against Clemson. I feel pretty good about that. Let's jump all the way down on this top 25 to number 21. See that? I I thought that you might. I thought you might. So that's Colorado. That's Colorado at 21. Okay? What am I betting on there? I'm betting on prime time. I'm betting on Neon Dion. I'm betting on a man who won the Thorpe Award 1988 with a Jerry Curl that didn't, didn't quite curl over. I'm betting on a man whose persona is the largest in the sport. We're talking on a Monday night. You know what else happened on Monday night? Earlier today, I should say, Deion Sanders graced the cover of GQ Magazine. Has your college football coach graced the cover of GQ Magazine? Has he done a photo shoot with GQ? The men's style did your look fresh too. Did you know he in his 50s? He don't look like he in his 50s. Clean fade. But he's also bringing, as he said, his luggage and his Louis Vuitton. And if we're going to transfer that to college football terms, that is Shadour Sanders, FCS, freshman of the year. Won back-to-back swag titles, right? 26-5 over there on that team. Last couple of years, they lost all of, I believe it's three games with him at quarterback. Goodness me. You're also talking about the number one player in the 2022 class who chose Jackson State is transferring with prime time to Boulder, Colorado. All right, Travis Hunter. Going to go both ways. Went both ways to Jackson State. That man showed up to be coached by Neon Dion, Coach Prime, prime time. You're going to get all of that, all of that at the Pac-12. So excited about it. Hired some outstanding hitters on offense and defense. Charles Kelly coming from Alabama, going to coach defense. Right? You, you going to wait and see? We'll wait and see. We're going to bet on him being able to do what Lincoln Riley was able to do too. Go into the portal, pull out who you need, go build a program that can win right away. Y'all about to get the prime experience over there, baby. You about to get lots of babies. You got about to get lots of plethoras. You about to get video cameras all over the school. Mm-hmm. Going to have some specs in that though. Love that. All right. Number 23 on the list here. Texas. It's Quinn Ewers versus Arch Manning, but it's really about when does Arch Manning become the starting quarterback at Texas? 
I don't know that it happens in 23. I wouldn't necessarily want it to happen in 23. You've got another year of Quinn Ewers. He's still growing. You had to treat him like a true freshman this year. And you saw as he continued to play, teams started to figure him out. You could see the arm talent. You could see that he's got the tools, but Steve Sarkeesian is still teaching him the game. Now you're going to bring in the number one quarterback after bringing in the number one quarterback into your QB room in Arch Manning and all that that entertains. That means Peyton, Eli, and granddaddy Archie, along with Cupper and his mama. You're bringing all that to the 40 acres. You're going to have lots of Longhorn fans going, when are we going to get to see Arch? Because the only player that fans love more than a starting quarterback is the dude playing behind the starting quarterback. Everybody wanted to see who was going to be the dude to replace the dude after it didn't look like he was the dude no more. We'll see. We'll see. I'm excited to see what they do to try to replace Bijan Robinson, but that core, that wide receiving core, I still think it's going to be pretty good. I think Pete Kukowski's defense was figuring it out this year. They're going to figure out, take another step in 23 in what is going to be the largest Big 12 conference since its inception because quite as it's kept, Oklahoma, Texas, Baylor, Kansas State, Texas, Christian. They also got to contend with Cincy, Houston, BYU, and Central Florida now. In addition to the doormat, Ain't no doormat anymore. That is Kansas at number 25. They want to smoke. Now, everybody sees Lance Leipold and the Jayhawks coming now. But now if you beat them, you're going to have to bloody your nose to do it. Very excited to see what they are capable of in 23. Talk more about these 25 teams throughout this offseason. But this has been a fantastic 2022. I'm already, as you can very well see, excited for 2023. What's spring football going to hold? What's the next national signing? I should say national signing day going to hold in February. What are we going to think when guys go back into the transfer portal and out? We have so much to discuss on that along with coaching changes. Man, having a great time. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Dunklin. Our sleeves of screening are Jake Coakley and Torn Westfall. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next week. That was